It's Christmas Day, and if you look under the tree, you'll find a new episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast coming to you now. All right, we're back again. Episode number 146 of the Indie Bar Report podcast. I'm Nick, he's Will, and in a month from now, we will have done 150 of these. That is a big, big number. Yeah, it's kind of weird to think about it when you get down to it. Yeah, because, like, to be honest with you, I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, what number are we at now? Because, like, you say the number every week, but, like, it kind of goes in one in one ear and out the other. Yeah. So like, I didn't really think about it. I'm like, yeah, you know, what? I'm actually gonna listen for it this week, and then now I got it. Yeah, it's kind of surprising at the same time too. It's like, wow, okay, it's been this long on this, like since 2019. So, like two full years, nearly three full years now, going on to the fourth year. That's kind of it's something else, but. It's impressive. It is. And speaking of impressive, we have a nice interview this week. An impressive interview, you may say, with uh, Mike Coltac, VP of Baseball Ops. Some might call it that. Yeah, somewhat. And, I mean, we talk about a whole bunch of stuff. It'll be fun. We'll get to that in a little bit. But we got a couple of pieces of news this week. It was rather slow, uh, admittedly, that we got to get to before we get to that interview. So we might as well get started with that news. This one isn't directly indie ball related, but it does technically involve, I suppose, some indie ball teams. So we tacked it on because, like I said, light news week. We got four people filing a challenge to MLB's antitrust exemption. Those four people are actually four organizations, and those four organizations are the teams of the Staten Island Yankees, not affiliated at all with the Fairy Hawks, two different entities entirely. Norwich Sea Unicorns. The Salem Kaiser Volcanoes, which, if you remember, we actually talked to, I believe it was Mickey Walker from that league, when he was trying to set that up about a year ago now. Uh, so, if you want to know more about Salem, you can go back and listen to that. It's like episode, I want to say, 898, I want to say it was. Um, if, you were, if you were able to nail that, I would be shocked. I'm going to check this at the very end, and then the post roll, I'm going to see if I'm right. Okay. But, yeah. And then the Tri-City Valley Cats, those four organizations are suing to challenge the MLB antitrust exemption. They're claiming that MLB's deliberate downsizing was to cement MLB's dominance over all of professional baseball. And essentially, uh, at least from the article that I was re- reading, because I only read a little bit into the actual court filing, um, the case hinges on the uh, NCAA versus Allstead ruling earlier in the year so basically the one that said yeah players can be compensated uh because if they're not compensated violates antitrust that sport organizations are not exempt from uh now of course the natural caveat there is there is a baseball exemption to the antitrust so that's kind of where this all comes back to before you can really make any sort of headway in this you'd basically need a ruling that says yeah the baseball exemption is going away because if you don't get rid of the baseball exemption, then, well, it doesn't really matter if they violated the antitrust or not because they're exempt from it. So, long and short on all of this here, just from kind of flipping through the, the actual filing, and 
given an overview on everything, I, it seems like a long shot, to be quite honest. Yeah, I think because when, when this case is talking about, as far as their claim in, in, in and of itself, it's definitely true. Like, we yeah. know that the MLB cut 40 teams or 42 teams or whatever the exact number ended up being. Uh, they cut those teams in an effort to, one, control all of minor league baseball, which, of course, is true. They yeah. let the agreement with minor league baseball expire so they could control everything. They openly talked about one baseball, yeah. uh, their, their whole vision. So it was also to cut costs uh, in 2020. So uh, that is uh, their, their claim is undoubtedly true. Uh, now, for the actual um, the precedent uh, it, itself as well, I think that I think it's probably true that it's a long shot just because the NCAA was not violating or the NCAA was not exempt from antitrust laws. Therefore, because obviously in the in the court ruling, they were violating antitrust laws um, by restricting this uh, by restricting college athletes from being compensated in any sense. So but it's just not really the same. Um that's not to say that I would I wouldn't love the baseball exemption to go to um to be taken out because I would um I think that in general it's kind of insane that uh that only baseball and only baseball gets a pass as far as paying people below minimum wage uh, and stuff like that and and anything that in any other sector would be completely illegal. And to me, but baseball's just exempt from it because it's baseball and they lobbied Congress back in the day. Uh, they got all the minor league owners saying, hey, you have to lobby Congress or else we're going to cut you and all that stuff that uh, I don't necessarily want to rehash from, from oh, months yeah, and months that ago. Whole, that whole uh, Save America's Pastime Act from like a couple years ago. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So um, obviously all of that... It's not really similar to the NCAA case because the NCAA never had an exemption to begin with, so they could just simply say that they violated those laws. Um, now, can the MO, can baseball violate laws that technically don't apply to them? I mean, I'm no legal expert, Nick. Nick, you know certainly more than I do, but I feel like that is kind of the point where you, if they're exempt from something how can they be violating it so i think at the same time like as much as i would love to see the exemption go away and uh the mlp have to pay uh everybody like in the same like with the same rules like the minimum wage and such uh to the players that literally every other industry in the country has to i would love to see that but uh, i just don't i don't think this is the case uh, for it. Yeah, that and also I think there's something that's very important here to acknowledge about this. These four particular organizations are, I highly, highly doubt, give a damn about the actual antitrust exemption and what comes around with it and all that that comes, you know, entitled with. They more or less care about creating a pain in the ass from which Major League Baseball and anyone else that's named as a defendant in said suit well, just say it's not worth actually fighting this in court and going through the expense of actually having to take time to assign attorneys to this, 
to have them fight this in court just to get it thrown out, just for it to be appealed, just for it to get thrown out again and just go around and around in a circle. It's what it really comes down to, at least from how I can see this, because like I said, this is essentially a Hail Mary prayer that you're basing on an NCAA, which to my knowledge is not an actual, like, privately ran organization it's set up well i suppose it in a sense it is but it's almost like a plane above a professional sports league it's more of a an organization of colleges together which are inherently a much different ground than just a flat-out pro league but you're basing that one ruling there that you need to use to try and get rid of a an actual trust exemption that's existed since all since Oliver Wendell Holmes was on the Supreme Court back in like the early 1900s 1890s era that's how long this thing's existed and you're banking on this trying to knock it off not a chance but you're actually just doing is trying to force a settlement here because obviously you're not happy that in the case of the Staten Island Yankees they folded although of course we all know they had other options they chose not to take Norwich, I believe, wound up going to a uh, summer college league. Salem yeah, Kaiser. They went with the bees. Yeah, right? so they went with the bees. That's what I thought. I thought they went future college league. I wasn't certain, so I didn't want to say. Uh, yeah. But then Salem Kaiser, they wound up in their whole little mini four team league that we don't really know what it's going to be, and it seems more like semi pro than anything else. Uh, and then you have Tri-City that has arguably, not even arguably, they have done the best of the three, finding their place in the Frontier League, having a fairly successful season, mind you, uh, whilst there. And even that, I mean, obviously that's not the same as affiliated ball. There's much more expense attached to it. And it's not like Tri-City really wanted to wind up in the Frontier League or the Atlantic League for that matter. They wanted to wind up still being in the New York Penn League. So clearly all of that has impacted the bottom line for each of the four organizations that filed. So it just seems to me like they're trying to force a settlement where they could split it up and each take their own piece from it. Now, I don't begrudge them for trying to do that. I mean, hell, if I was in the same boat, I'd probably justifiably very annoyed at what happened. And I'd be equally as eager to file a lawsuit on any grounds that I could. And I mean, by all means, you can. It's a it's a Hail Mary shot. Don't get me wrong. But you, by every metric, you have the right to sue them. It's just I don't expect this to last terribly long in court. When you start laying stuff out that is kind of like other things, like saying this result or this action taken by a parent organization that we were dependent on resulted in X damage cause to us and you start listing off damages as to why you're filing it and why you're entitled to what you're looking for and the whole nine that goes along with the court filing there's a lot of it that's more Hail Mary and I understand you just kind of throw everything in there because you're like hey if we toss 10 things in as opposed to five we don't expect to hit on the extra five we threw in there but if we do hey it's bonus money if it gets dismissed then hey we lost absolutely nothing except for a couple of lines on a piece of paper really so, like, I get that, but some of it's, you know, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, at the end of the day, you have to prove what you're suing for. You have to prove the damage, and I mean, yes, Major League Baseball has talked about their one baseball initiative, their one baseball vision, but at the same time, Major League Baseball is going to turn around and go, yeah, 
we also enhanced our standard of what we expect in a minor league ballpark and said, if you don't meet this standard, we're going to cut you. And there was, what, 40, 42 teams that did not meet that standard, so they were cut. There's over, there's 120 of them that did. And so they're still here. We kept the overall majority of them. And at the same time, we had an agreement. Our agreement ceased and it is what it is now. And I wouldn't even be terribly shocked if they said, well, look, technically we don't control all the professional baseball. If you really want to get down to it, see those independent leagues over there that we have a partnership with a non you know, like rule-based partnership with the two of them. Obviously, Atlantic League is a bit different. But if you point to that and use that as your basis, I mean, it's like, hey, technically we don't. There's other forms that exist on the same level as all of these cut teams were at or higher level. So it just seems like you have to prove it all over like that reasonable doubt like over that 50% mark. And I just don't know if you can get over like 51. You need 51% to say, yeah, that was probable. And I'm not sure there's 51% of, yeah, that's probable here. So I, it just, like I said, it seems like a long shot. There's a lot of stuff in the filing that just seems hard to prove. And the fact that you're going after an antitrust exemption on the base of an NCAA ruling that exactly a great foundation, at least in my mind. Now, obviously, you know, there's a lot better legal, better legal minds than me to, that could tell you something a lot more about this. But just to me, over again, just looking over quickly, that's how it at least seems. Yeah, I, I think you kind of said it all. It's just it's kind of a lo- it's kind of a long shot, and I think you made a good point as far as they're probably just trying to get some money out of the MLB. Obviously, the MLB has their own issues they're dealing with right now. We'll just we'll just say yeah. that. Um, so they have, they have their own things to deal with. I think they're probably just hoping for a little bit of money in, in as far as the settlement. I mean, the owners of the Staten Island Yankees have nothing to do with the team anymore. Yeah. So, well, technically the Staten Island Yankees folded. This is just a whole new group. Correct. This is just, you know, they're annoyed that, Hey, we got cut and now we can yeah. continue operations. Right. And, and they, sh- and they definitely should be like, I don't, I don't blame them for trying, but. You know, I, I just I agree with you. I, I don't think that uh, the lawsuit has much merit, and if the MLB fights this, it could probably get it thrown out pretty easily. Oh, absolutely, and I guarantee you, at least in the case of Stan Island, because we know that the cut teams were offered, or at least some of them, were offered entrance into the Atlantic League. Now, you know Stan Island was offered. I believe Tri-City was offered. Norwich, I'm not sure. And Salem-Kaiser, even if they were offered, let's be real, they were never going to accept that because that would bankrupt them in travel costs alone. Even if you wanted to bus from Oregon to, like, Long Island, I mean, just imagine hey, how god-awful that bus trip would be if you were on that bus. Oh, God. That, I mean, that would take days. It, it would. And then just imagine the expense that comes along with it because you have to do, like, a three- or four-week-long road trip at a time. There's just no other way to do it. And more than likely, you can't even bus that long because the cost of busing that far would probably be about the same as just flying everybody out coach. So it's not even a, it's not even a it's not even an option really. To exactly, bus. exactly. So 
if as long as they offered you an option, they're like, look, okay, the ones, the one of you is that didn't join any MLB affiliated league, aka an MLB partner league or an MLB draft league, then we offered you an, an option to continue your operations. You declined to do so, even though we had numbers that said you would be able to. So that's on you. And then for the ones that just had to alter their, their operations or joined a partner league, it's going to be like, oh, hey, you're still operating. So what are you complaining about? And moreover, it's just like, again, I empathize with the teams that were cut. Obviously, it sucks and it sucks for the communities. And I see what they're saying, how, oh, well, it has irreverably harmed baseball in small town communities and whatnot. And I suppose there's merit there. But again, you have to prove harm. They, they're going off of economic basis. And again, what's going to be even more hard if you're trying to brace it off of economic basis is right when the cuts happened was in the middle of a global pandemic. So Major League Baseball is going to say across the board, revenues were down, small town economies were down because there was a pandemic. That's the reason why, not because the baseball team left town. And then they're going to point to other markets where there was lawsuits back and forth between teams and cities and teams and stadium owners over unpaid rent and unpaid dues and all sorts of other things. And then they're going to point to the conditions of these stadiums and go, look, we want to try and make better baseball players grow the base. This stadium was not equipped to do it. This organization wasn't due to it. And like I said, there's just so much here that you'd have to prove without Major League Baseball being able to just throw enough cold water on it. Which again, if they if Major League Baseball actually cared and wanted to take it to a trial, which is never recommended, by the way, you could probably beat it fairly easily with the kind of like law power they're they're rolling with for Major League Baseball. Because if you think for a minute they're not hiring the top of the line in whatever jurisdiction this was fi- filed in. I forgot the the one at the top there, I forgot to write it down, but I imagine it's probably a New York jurisdiction. If you're going after, you know, your top attorneys in New York to represent you if you're Major League Baseball, they're going to be able to knock this down fairly quickly. And it's not like they just have some magical power where they could do it. It's just you're paying guys that are really good at litigating a lot of money to find ways to get out of it. So if that's your top priority for like two weeks, yeah, you bet your ass they're going to be able to find something that's going to be able to defeat this. It's just the way it goes. Yeah, I think they're, I, th- I feel like there's not really a whole lot to add. It's just yeah. not, it's just not very realistic that, uh, that this goes anywhere. I think it's just like, it's on paper. They're filing this. They're trying to get a settlement. Uh, and it's, it's unlikely to actually happen. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, I don't, I don't mind dunking on Major League Baseball. If somehow there's some surprise here, but I just don't think this is the case to make it happen. It, it really is. And it's, it's a prayer that really, for lack of a better term, it's kind of a money grab in my eyes, which again, if you want to go after them for some money, by all means, go ahead and do it. But it just seems like a real long shot here. So. So now we switch to some sadder news at the Atlantic League. Uh, Kamara Barty passed away on Monday. He was 49. Spent a couple of years with Long Island, uh, including making the t- 2004 All-Star Game on Long Island. That was his second year there. Uh, I believe he wound up being a, a base coach for the Detroit Tigers. So it's, you know, it's sad to see alumni go like that, especially, I mean, 49 is young. It's... It's, it sucks to see stuff like that, especially around holiday season, 
like I said, it, it just kind of felt like uh, it was worth mentioning here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at so there was just really an outpouring of support after this news, like from uh, from all circles of of Major League Baseball. I mean, especially I mean from the Detroit Tigers. He, I mean, he as you mentioned, Nick, he was the first base coach uh, currently for the Tigers, a guy who uh, at only forty nine had had quite a bright future ahead in coaching. I think it's safe to say uh, at at the MLB level. So. I mean, he, he did a lot for he's done a lot for baseball. Did a lot for the Atlantic League itself. He ha- he's had some some big big moments, of course, like a huge game tying home run in the ninth inning uh, at, at Bridgeport in, in a playoff series uh, that that Ducks fans certainly remember. I mean, if you look at the numbers, he had an unre- unbelievable two seasons in Long Island. Uh, so I, I mean. Especially, especially his final professional season. I mean, an OPS over a thousand, twenty-seven home runs, hitting three nineteen. So obviously, a, a terrific baseball player in his own right. But uh, from what everyone has said over the last few days, just a, a terrific person as well. And like you said, for, forty-nine is is really young. So it's it's really sad news. Uh, and uh, one of the and I know Mike Mike Pfaff said that he he was one of the best ducks that. That, that they've ever had. So uh, really, really just sad news and someone gone uh, too soon. Yeah, no, it, it really is uh, unfortunate when something like that happens. I mean, it, at the end of the day, the baseball player and the baseball aspect of it's all secondary to the, the person that he was. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it's sad. It, it certainly is sad. But on that note, I suppose we'll transition to something a little bit less sad in uh in our interview with uh the vice president of baseball ops over in lexington in uh, mike coltak he's a wonderkin of a front office guy really interesting guy really fun interview you know obviously we bust a little balls in there but it was a good interview though i think it was pretty fun very personable uh, and a lot of good insight as far as this uh, team kentucky goes in the way that uh, lexington goes about their operations Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mike Coltak is, uh, he, he's a great guy. Uh, just really fascinating, really interesting to talk to. I mean, uh, we, we covered everything as far as, uh, Charleston, uh, Lexington, Dean, Kentucky, uh, coming up this year. So, uh, a lot to get into and, uh, can't wait for everyone to hear it. Oh, absolutely. And so with that being said, here was our interview with the Vice President of Baseball Operations with the Lexington Legends, Michael Tack. We're back again to continue the interview series, as always, and we have another guest from Lexington, but he's a good one. Unlike the last few times, we have the Vice President of Baseball Operations, Mike Coltack, to join us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, fellas. I'm a, uh, I'm a huge fan and, uh, as you know, an indie ball for life kind of guy. So um, just really excited to be on. And I just want to start by really thanking you guys, too, uh, as, a, as a guy that was kind of doing the traveling circuit and whatnot, uh, you know, the past couple of years before I landed here in Lexington. Uh, you know, it's just a great respect for what you guys do and the voice that you give our industry. It's something that's definitely needed and, and just really much appreciated on this end. 
Uh, trust me, we, we love talking with guys like you. And I'm sure I speak for when I say we're just happy that we can, you know, kind of help promote players and teams that often go overlooked by uh, kind of the general, I guess, baseball audience. So we're always happy to hear that and definitely appreciative of that. And I mean, yeah, you certainly traveled the gamut from uh, going with playing for like Napa and Alpine out in the Pacific Association, Pecos League, and then, you know, kind of winding up in those circuit leagues. And so I guess, um, well, there are certainly a lot to talk about in 2021. I do want to go back to that kind of 2020 start and just kind of ask a little bit about that circuit league and what that was like a bit, because I know, uh, before we jumped on, I said, Oh, I want to talk a lot about the transitional year in 2021 and 2022, but I do want to circle back and just touch on that first and what that was like playing in these kind of circuit leagues. Cause while we've had a couple people that have played them come on here, it, they really haven't been all the ones that have used for lack of a better term, established teams. You know, most of them were just kind of little one-and-done type year teams. Maybe there's one or two real teams or established teams, rather, in them. But with Lexington, it was two established teams, and at the time, it was an affiliated team and an independent team and then a couple of other ones attached on there. So I'm just kind of curious what that experience was like. Yeah, well, the, the we, we called it the Battle of the Bourbon Trail here in Lexington, and uh, it's something that I'll, you know, be forever grateful for with you know, Andy and company uh, putting that on 2020 because it really led to me working here and, uh, for the future. And, uh, you know, it's a great experience for me personally. I had just an absolute blast, you know, surrounding myself with, you know, a lot of affiliate players that year too that didn't have anything to do. And, you know, just learning from them every day was just incredible. And I made some lifelong friendships uh, during that season and, you know, got to compete against Florence and the other Legends team here. I was on the Leandas. It was just a blast. Um, you know, it was uh, it was very telling that I loved this front office, loved this ownership group, and it was someplace that being f- from Lexington and living in Lexington, uh, a place that I really wanted to be aligned with. And uh, luckily enough, it ended up happening that I'm here still. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I imagine that experience as a ball player to then see other guys that are, you know, they're further along in their baseball career. They've played uh, maybe at a higher level there to see how they work, see how their talent is on the field as a teammate of them. It is a, certainly a great experience there from a learning perspective and also just the almost like a more than a fan, but not quite looking at it objectively, too, where you're just saying, wow, these guys are just that good. I'm that close to watching them and how they perform every day. Yeah, it was a blast. And and the one thing that I take away from that season uh, now that really affects my work day to day is, you know, I was on the ground level with them and got to hear sort of what they do and don't like and the things about affiliated ball that, that they wish were different. And, and, you know, I think that kind of molds and helps shape the experience that we give them when they come here now out of affiliated ball and they come to an independent ball league and in ways that we can help improve and show them that this can still be a great experience for them. And, I think a lot of times in affiliate ball, people get lost and there's no real personal connection with the front office or the ownership or anything like that. Cause you're just kind of a cog in the cog in the machine, you know? And so it was, it was huge in shaping how we try and treat our guys and, and show them that, you know, they're really, they really are family here and our guys choose to come here and we, and we try and do our best to show them uh, that mutual respect back. Yeah, and you could definitely see it. And I mean, that's half the problem with, with affiliated ball. And part of what makes it so difficult for me to really root for or get into is just 
you constantly see the rotation of staff of players and how it's just kind of all right next just keep it going keep it going there's no real a connection that you form with them over the course of the year because a lot of them just don't stay that long a lot of them just constantly are moving on and that's just the nature of affiliated ball as opposed to independent ball where you're going to have some guys that are going to stay over year after year after year and really become established in the community and if not as a player certainly as a uh, a member of the team staff or front office or whatever it may be and so i guess with that i'm i do want to begin to ask about the experience this past year it's as part of that front office and the player acquisition and all like that but i'm going to try and continue to break this terrible habit of talking for 10 minutes straight without working will in so i want to get yeah. will uh, an opportunity to get in here and ask anything he wants to ask uh, before going forward here about maybe play on the field or the, or the battle of the bourbon trail or anything like that yeah so i mean honestly i'm, I'm just i'm just really interested in that uh in that kind of team building aspect and how that uh how you were able to start to, to build such a team like in Lexington and even, and even West Virginia as well, uh, with no, I guess, track record of, of indie ball experience for guys, you know, like t- teams like the Ducks have been around and we know the, uh, reputation they have and they can bring in some of the top talent. That's not something that at least for Lexington and West Virginia that they had the, uh, they didn't have that track record. So d- did you find that as a, as an as an issue of any sort or w- when trying to build those teams or uh how, how did you kind of work around that yeah that's a good question uh, i think that dropping from an affiliate uh definitely had its perks and then you know talking to players knowing that this would be a legit baseball operation um you know we had done things like a minor league team in the past so that helped and you know just can't can't state enough how important PJ and Mark were both in that process for both sides. Uh, I obviously worked for Charleston last year to kind of help them, help them get off the ground. But then now this year, I'm strictly with the legends. Um, you know, I just think that going back to that battle, of the bourbon trail experience really helped when trying to sign players though. I think I understood what guys wanted out of this and, and from just being around them and really used that in our conversations uh, when we were trying to sign players and just letting them know that, you know, here in Lexington, and I know this goes for Charleston as well, winning championships is awesome. Winning games is awesome. And, and there's can't take anything away from that. But when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, our number one goal, even more than winning championships, is to get these guys back signed into an affiliate program. And I don't think that's something that people really, really make uh, a priority uh, all the time. When and that was something that kind of set us apart. Whereas, you know, we tried to establish as many connections with scouts. We we did things like went out and made a deal with Baseball Cloud and Kevin Davidson and Eric Sexton over over a Baseball Cloud that really set us apart from the rest of the league this year. You know, we had detailed scouting reports on all of our guys that we could send out to any number of scouts all year, which I think really helped uh, and something that we're really proud of and a relationship that we are really grateful for in Baseball Cloud. And, you know, Kevin and, and Eric over there are just absolutely incredible what they do and and the program that they've come up with is just you know set us apart a little bit here at the beginning and and something that i thought was vitally important going forward uh to set us apart from the rest of the league and and i think it really paid dividends so you think that that uh i guess i'd like to ask a little bit more about that uh that relationship with with baseball and plaid so you said that's more of like that's more of developing sort of like that scouting rapport is is that more like kind of an analytics front uh, to kind of give the more details on the players to, to send to teams, just to, just to clarify. 
Absolutely. We use it both as scouting the other teams that we play, and then we'll use it as a way to kind of highlight where, why we think that our guys should be signed by different clubs and we can send it off to the affiliates as well. Um, and, and it, it did pay off in multiple scenarios where we could, where we could point to different, you know, spin rates and, and stuff like that, that really showed that these guys were elite players. Okay. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's definitely interesting. I think that's almost a look uh, into the future of, of, uh, of indie ball. You could say, uh, cause a lot of teams, uh, they're definitely not, do, not doing stuff like that. Of course, you have like what is the the league partnership? You could say with like TrackMan and stuff, and uh, what, what they say like that the TrackMan is is able to do. But you know, I, I think Baseball Cloud is more detailed and it's better in that comparison acts aspect uh, to two different clubs and different players and why uh, why this player should be should be signed and get another chance. And I think you saw that. That paid dividends with so many guys getting signed out of, out of, out of Lexington. I guess that, that leads me to my next question about Lexington because, as you know, specifically on the pitching end of things, uh, the team that we saw at, at the beginning of the season with Lexington was not at all the, the specific on the pitching side, the, the team we saw with Lexington at the end of the season. So what was it like trying to uh, – of course, you mentioned – it's the num- the number one priority is trying to get these guys signed, and that's great. Uh, of course, though, that that does um, make it a little bit of a problem when you're tra- trying to uh, bring in pitchers mid season and trying to rebuild on the fly. So, what what was that uh, experience like? Trying to rebuild uh, a lot of the pitching staff on the fly for you for for Lexington specifically. Well, you know, I mean, that's a good problem to have in our mind, and, and something that. Uh, we knew if we did our jobs correctly, we were going to come into, we were going to run into that problem at some point. Uh, and that's something that we, you know, as a staff, we're always kind of keeping our eyes on different people. Uh, we leaned heavily on the Black Sox organization at different points of the year. Joe Torrey runs a really great operation as a, almost like a minor league feeder uh, for different teams. And we picked and pulled from them a lot this season. And then, you know, as, as we got into the, the latter parts of the season, I mean, we got we got down into the playoffs and we picked up a guy like Zach Westcott out of the Frontier League that really pushed us over the edge. Uh, you know, you think he had 14 Ks over two outings in the in the in the playoffs, one in each series. And, you know, because of a guy like that, you know, it really pushed us to winning our first Atlantic League championship. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a constant it's a constant battle, but it's something that, you know, as especially lands on my shoulders as being the procurement person. It's, it's something I'm always keeping my eye on. And I got to ask before I throw, before I throw it back to Nick, Jeremy Jeffress. I mean, this is a guy who was like an elite reliever in major league baseball, like only a couple of years ago. Uh, how did that turn out? How did that turn out to be? Cause I remember seeing the, uh, the, all the social media posts about Jeremy Jeffress. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like, uh, how, how did how did that come to be? Because that was that was a that was a really big one where I was like, oh my goodness, he's a he's a guy who's an elite reliever just a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, I mean that just speaks volumes about PJ in uh, his ability to network and you know guys that he knows from the past and and one of the big things that he really brings to this organization is is uh, you know a lot of people throughout the game of baseball. Have run into PJ and Brandon uh, throughout the years and, and really respect them. So getting a guy like that, Austin Adams too, you know, guys that have had real success in the big leagues, uh, having faith in us and PJ specifically uh, to be the place that they come and, and, and kind of try and 
revitalize their careers is huge. Yeah. I mean, I mean, who would have thought that when we began even in, in March uh, that we would be signing guys with that kind of, that kind of uh, reputation is just, I mean, it's just incredible. And, and reasons like that are, you know, the reason why PJ's coming back and, and we're really excited about that. And this is going to be a very exciting 2022. Definitely. It's going to be an awesome year. So with that, Nick, I know if you want, if you want to jump in, ask anything more about, about the team specifically, if I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Yeah, no, I definitely have a, uh, a couple of questions there on that end, because you mentioned a little bit earlier that, you know, that Battle Bourbon Trail gave you experience talking to these Philly guys and what they were looking for or what they didn't like about affiliate ball and what, you know, there may be some misconceptions about independent league baseball. And then you mentioned baseball cloud and whatnot. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about some of the other changes that you implemented uh, after talking with them or things that you suggested as to uh, what we could do different after, you know, talking to these guys that maybe, you know, the average fan wouldn't really pick up on because, you know, they're not there every day. They're, they show up for four hours a day on game day and that's about it. So if there was anything like kind of behind the scenes, what, what would that be like? Well, you know, I just think the overall interaction with the guys being, being open and honest, having an open door policy with, with the managers and them not feeling like, they couldn't come and talk to us, our coaching staff at any point in time. And I think really when it gets down to it, it's more of a culture thing. Uh, really, I know it sounds cliche, but it's, it's, we try to make it feel like a family here and that, you know, if there was something that you needed to get off your chest, you come and get off your chest and not worry about, Hey, am I going to be stuck here in double A if I go and tell the manager what's really on my mind? And, and I think opening up those lines of communication is really the one thing that, that I got from that bourbon trail experience um, that really, really came into play this year and showed that it had a lot of success. Yeah, definitely. Communication is very, very important just about every aspect. Uh, so that, that definitely is something that needs to be addressed, needs to be open and free. You can't have people, you know, with something on their mind that they can't say, otherwise it's going to carry over elsewhere. And so with that, I do want to turn my attention back towards the player acquisition bit because obviously you mentioned Ostam's mentioned uh, Jeremy Jeffries. These guys are big name guys. So I was kind of curious and obviously the Zach Westcott, I know we've talked about other guys that, you know, you made a push for, but then ultimately wound up going elsewhere as well. So I was just kind of curious when you go after these guys, seeing as you're the player procurement guy, is this a conversation you have with everybody else in the front office, with ownership, with PJ, with everybody, or is this just more of a, all right, I got these guys. How could you implement them and then go out and get them if you can get them? Or what's the process like uh, when you go out to try and, uh, and get a player that can help the team? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Hmm. Uh, so it's, it basically starts with, you know, somebody, whether it be one of the members of the coaching staff or even a member of the front office um, or myself that comes up with a name. Uh, and then we kind of all, we, we kick out the name, we start looking at the numbers and we have a conversation first and, kind of decide if this is a move that we want to make before we reach out and communicate to that person for the first time. And then, you know, it, it's a team effort, really. You know, it starts with a conversation from me. It could go to a conversation with PJ. It could go even all the way up to Andy, uh, our mm-hmm. owner. Um, you know, we got to pull out all the stops sometimes. And sometimes that means hearing from the big dog himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but there's no real move ever made without talking to everybody involved. It, it just it just wouldn't work, you know, because yeah. you never know when there's going to be something that that's a red flag that you miss that somebody else sees. And, and so 
uh, yeah, we, we preach communication between all of us. And we think that that, that really paid off for us this, uh, this last year. Um, yeah, certainly it did. I mean, on the field, at least, I mean, a championship is never a, a bad season, certainly. And so with that, uh, I do want to just kind of talk about the overall year because you kind of came in as in a transitional year, going from that affiliated league or the Battle Bourbon Trail and affiliated ball into this independent league. So I was just kind of curious, what was that atmosphere like around the office, around the ballpark this past year, making that transition over into this whole new kind of wild west almost of uh, of baseball? Because I imagine there there is a different process behind it and that even if the differences aren't as noticeable, there is kind of an overlying a kind of aura around the office of, okay, things are a little bit different now. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd be completely lying if I said that there wasn't some sort of disappointment there when the mm-hmm. Royals left uh, in 2020. But, you know, when it came to the baseball side of things and, and the office in general, look, nothing changes uh, mm-hmm. when you go to independent ball off of the field. So anything from the stands, concessions, in-game promos, all of that stuff is really similar. So day-to-day life was pretty pretty typical for our staff in, in a normal year. You know, before it was just the Royals would handle everything on the field and all the baseball operations. So there's just an added part to the business now um, that was, uh, you know, me and um, a couple interns that I had that were really great and that sort of ran the baseball operations aspect of it. So when it came to the day-to-day stuff with with our with our front office, you know, it's pretty typical experience. Yeah. Okay. So it, it was pretty much business as usual, uh, from, from the baseball perspective and from the front office side, it's just now you had that baseball aspect to, to really work into the equation. Right. And, you yeah. know, really our main objective for 2021 was to show everybody here in Lexington and show the city that, that we're still here. Yeah. The baseball product is in fact going to be better than it was yeah. at the low A level and that you can still come out and have a, an affordable night with your family at the ballpark. And, and I think we did that. And, you know, we love our fan base so much and they've been so loyal to us that we really think that this this venture of taking on two teams here in Lexington is almost a tip of the cap to our fan base because they deserve something, uh, you know, in return for, for being so loyal to us. And, and so we're going to give them 123 home openings this year where season tickets, it's still the same price for a season ticket package that it would have been in a regular year, except you get double the games. Uh, and that's kind of just our nod to the community and, yeah. and the place that we call home. So that's a pretty good deal. And before I jump into that Team Kentucky uh, whole pool right there, because there's certainly a lot I want to get into there, I do want to know, Will, if you have anything else to add before we get on to Team Kentucky. I suppose now is the time to jump in there. Yeah, so I definitely, definitely want to ask about, uh, about Team Kentucky. But before that, uh, I, I definitely wanted to ask that uh, – you you had some uh, of course you're not uh, not too far off uh, you played in the Battle of the Urban Trail Pacific Association and such. Um, you got a chance to get into some games uh, this year as well beyond all the the player procurement uh, role of yours. So what was it like to get into a into a game a few times? Like how how, how was that like? The kind of getting in, playing with some of the guys that you ended up recruiting. I imagine that's that's not really a, a relationship you get often. Yeah, uh, it was definitely a unique scenario, and uh, I look forward to doing it again next year as well. Uh, it, it, there's something special about you know being in charge of the player procurement, and then at some point during that season, going out and and showing that 
you know, not only was I in it for them on off the field, but I was able to help and whenever I could on the field too. And just, you know, I think it helps strengthen relationships. I, I, you know, there's something about being out on the mound that I love more, more than anything in the world. It's my happy place. And uh, just, you know, not too many people get to have that experience where they get to be, you know, ha- get their cake and eat it too kind of situation. It was uh, very neat. Uh, and something that, really at the beginning of this process was not something that was a plan. Uh, I was not planning on throwing. And then we realized that in this independent ball world, it really does help to have a safety net around of arms. And so, uh, you know, whenever uh, PJ and Dave felt like it was necessary, I would suit them up and go out there and give them my best. And, uh, you know, had some good outings, had some bad outings. And, uh, you know, just like the rest of my seasons in independent ball, you uh, walked plenty of guys and I uh, was kind of on, <laughs> on brand for what I normally would do. <laughs> well, at least you're honest. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, man. You got to be, right? Yeah. Uh, before I throw it back to Mr. Listen, Team Kentucky Baseball Talk, uh, at least looking around the league, and of course, this, this was the first year um, or Lexington, it was their inaugural season in the Atlantic League as, long, as well with, with West Virginia and such. Across the league, uh, offense was definitely up. Uh, it was sky high from where it, norm- where it normally is in the Atlantic League. And I wanted to ask you wh- what you thought, I guess, from a, like a league perspective, what you thought was behind that. Is that kind of the uh, – and do you think that's like the future of the Atlantic League? You can expect more high-scoring games than I guess that uh, people are used to in the past. I know it's kind of a, I know it's kind of a big question. Uh, but I feel like if I felt like he'd be a, a, a decent guy to ask because we've been trying, Nick and I have been talking about like what's been behind this offensive surge. I wanted, so I wanted to know if you, if you have an idea, like maybe what you think is, is behind that, like from a, like a league perspective. Sure. I think that uh, a lot of the restructuring in minor league baseball had something to do with it this past year. Uh, you know, a lot of guys were cut uh, when, when they went into that 2020 season or when, when, there was really not going to be minor league baseball. A lot of teams got rid of a lot of guys. And so if you looked at our rosters at the beginning of the season, there was just a ton of arms picked up immediately. Um, and I think that that led to kind of a shortage of arms for, for the rest of the season. I think it will personally, I, I think it's going to even back out. I think you're going to see a little bit lower scoring games this coming year. And I do not expect it to be uh, anything like it was last year. That, that, I think that's the question everyone's wondering: like, will it even out? But it, 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 it's good to hear if you if you think it's going to even out. So I think uh, we're going to talk about some team Kentucky, Nick. If you wanted to, you wanted to pick that up. Yeah, sure thing here. And you know, one quick thing though is, if you ever need an extra bullpen catcher, I know your former uh, COO would have been perfect there, and who's now moved on to Portland. There, he would have been perfect because he's caught bullpen before, uh, but. But with that, yeah, I've got some videos that might uh, that might change your mind on that. I'll send them over your way. Mr. Scaglione was uh, was he was very kind in, in suiting up that day for a Henry Owens and Zach Westcott bullpen. But I think the video evidence shows that you know he might not be the best option. Well, to be fair, he, he had to be very concerned about messing up his hair, so he couldn't focus on catching. Guy guy has a beautiful head of hair. I will say that. That's that's the biggest loss in the front <laughs> office is the hair. But now maybe no you, maybe you took over his crown now. Yeah, you know I've got bad hair though, so that's one place that I I really need to start working on and emphasizing uh maybe a little bit more self care. Uh well, just see the groundskeeper. Maybe he could give you like some of that Scott's fertile seed and toss that <laughs> way on top. 
That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> uh, that uh, so, Team Kentucky. We, we were talking about that. Obviously, the home dates they now double. If you're a season ticket holder, you get double the, the amount of dates here. So I was kind of wondering if we could go back and just kind of discuss the, the general overview of Team Kentucky and what the plan is uh, for this season with them. You mentioned the the extra home dates and whatnot. So just kind of the the overview on it, because obviously. Uh, you guys took on the challenge of having two teams not yet the field, which is, I mean, double the expenses, double the challenge, double the amount of players you're going to need, double on everything. So, uh, just kind of what went into the decision to host it, as well as you know what the uh, what the average fan can kind of expect from a team Kentucky game, and and then we can kind of go from there, I guess. Sure. Well, I mean, I think they'll get the same experience with the Legends game, just you know, different players and different coaching staff. Uh, and then I think we actually play each other 41 times this upcoming season, which will be really interesting. Yeah. Uh, but really going into it, you know, I know that people have concerns, uh, even when I was listening to your podcast, uh, yeah. you know, a couple weeks back on, you know, the staffing purposes and, yeah. and uh, you know, all, all the extra costs that we're seeing so far with uh, different sponsors being thrilled about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the one thing that I am really excited about, and I know our front office is really excited about as well, is the potential to have so many more group sales uh you know in a, in a typical year you look at a schedule and you know you got 60 60 odd something openings well this year we've got 123 which opens us up to having a ton more groups out here and, and we're really excited about hammering away at that uh you know we're really we're really excited about trying to piece together the two best atlantic league teams and you know we took both of the playoff managers from last year on in the south division and and we have them both in our market to you know to show really that we mean business. And when, uh, when Andy Shea puts his mind to something like this, it's no joke. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly been, been proven true. I mean, the team that likes them fielded in year one and even the team that Charleston fielded in year one was certainly proving to that fact. And so, I mean, I expect nothing less from team Kentucky there. And even now this whole South division as a whole really has kind of upped its ante. I mean, there really is no, weak team there. I mean, High Point's always been a strong team. Lexington obviously is going to continue. Team Kentucky has the makings of it to begin with, adding Mark Minikazi. And uh, I'm going to ask a little bit about how he managed to uh, navigate a little bit further west and uh, in one second there. And then, you know, naturally Charleston's still uh, going to be a good team. And the, then you have yeah, Stoney there. Who's I, I do want to kind of ask how Mark Minikazi made that transition. Was it just a simple, hey, we need you to move over to this team? Was it just uh, we want to make a little bit of a change in the Charleston market? What, what was that process kind of like? Oh, yeah. So it's never been a secret that uh, yeah. you know, Andy, our owner, and Mark go way back. You know, they've been really good friends for almost 25 years. Uh, yeah. You know, Andy's wife and Mark's wife are very close. They have children the same age. Uh, so really, it just made a lot of sense for Mark and his family to be here. And we're really excited about having them here. And I know that Andy's family is thrilled about it. And I think it's just a really good fit overall. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, he brings certainly a, an awful lot to the to the table as far as that goes. Uh, off the yeah, field and, I would, and I would like to add, too, you know, I, I think that the hire of Billy Horn in Charleston is just perfect. It's a great fit. Billy is an awesome guy. Oh, yeah. uh, really enjoyed getting to meet him this year when he was with Jamie over in High Point. And, you know, I've got just so much love for for Chuck and Mary over there and the whole front office in Charleston. You know, I worked pretty closely with him last year. And, you know, that's actually the really cool part about Andy and, you know, Stanville LLC 
uh, owning both teams is that we get to work really close with Charleston and we've become really fond of their front office. We even had a retreat where they came to Lexington for three days uh, earlier this year. And, you know, we, we've just got a really good thing going there and we think it helps with marketing, social media and everything in between. So uh, I, I'm really happy for Billy. I'm really happy for the Charleston market. I think that's just an awesome fit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when, when we had Billy Horn on, he was just one of the nicest guys. And I mean, we just went on and on for hours at a time, really. And I mean, he's just such a great guy and knows his baseball. So it, it's just a fantastic hire there. I was really happy when I saw that there and using a real corporate buzzword, there is good synergy between the two there because there's a lot that's in common and there's a lot that could be used to promote each side on that. And so with that, the, the one question that I do have left with team Kentucky for it, I let Will get his opportunity to get in there is, um, when are we going to get some some news about the branding of the team? Because I assume Team Kentucky isn't just going to stick throughout the whole year. So when are we going to get like a, a formal an announcement on the uh, on the team and the branding around that and start to see more of that come together? Sure. Yeah, and we get we get this a lot, and yeah. it's a fair question. We are looking at you know sometime early in uh, the new year. We're looking okay. you know sometime middle of January to kind of start rolling out pieces to the marketing and the branding. I'm really excited. I think it's going to be awesome. And I think it'll be something that the community can really relate to, which I'm thrilled about. And that's great to hear. And I know you got a, a pretty solid guy handling the social media aspect. So, uh, oh, I mean, Ryan, yeah. Ryan has been just an absolute game changer so far. I know that uh, many people that listen to this podcast are familiar with the ALPB roundup. Yeah. Uh, he was just an absolute dynamite hire for us and, and just so thrilled that he's on our team now. Yeah, absolutely. Although you guys are working him too hard. We're still waiting on his uh, awards from the past year. By the time he gets yeah, to him, seriously. it's going to be, yeah. By the you, time know, he- you need to get on him about that because I already have and he just doesn't seem to listen to me about it. So I I need a little bit more pressure from you guys there. Well, that's what this show's all about, peer pressure. So we're going exactly, to jump on him for that now. I'm going to I'm gonna have to bug him on Twitter and everywhere else. Plus, I got his phone number. I'll call him after this. Yeah. So, Will, if you want to jump in here on Team Kentucky, feel free to go right on ahead now. Yeah. So I, uh, the, the, I was interested to know as far as, as far as Team Kentucky goes, it's when you're looking for teams and specifically in leagues, when you have an odd number of permanent teams, usually the move is to go to, uh, so on a league basis is to go to a travel team. Um, like a, a road warriors type that we've seen in the Atlantic League, uh, or even in the American Association, American Association last year, we saw the Houston Apollos. Uh, why did you think it was important, Mike, to get a team that was not a traveling team to, to be in there for this year and to get a second team, uh, with a home ballpark, with fans and, and a team that is playing, essentially a normal schedule and not a traveling team that we've seen in so many other leagues. Oh, I mean, it's the competitiveness. I mean, you look at all these travel teams that come into leagues for a year and, you know, they get, they get wiped up. Uh, People mop the floor with them. And, and, you know, that's not really good for anybody. And it's a huge expense put on to the rest of the league split up. And we just thought that it made more sense for the league's league purposes. And for us in general too, was to, to keep the competitiveness of the league at the highest possible level. And so we saw this as an opportunity to, you know, not only have it help us in our market, but to help the league in general. Sure. So I think, uh, and of course, I, I, th- I could envision the, uh, the kind of the rivalry aspect in some ways. I know Lexington and, uh, and, and Charleston 
have, have built some sort of rivalry in some ways. Is there is there any sort of a rivalry kind of thing in 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 the uh, in the plans for uh, the Kentucky team and uh, with a to be determined name and Lexington playing in the uh, playing in the same ballpark? Absolutely, we are going to play that up as big as we can. And, you know, we get to do some pretty cool stuff. Like we're talking about doing a home run derby with with our three teams uh, here on Labor Day, which I think is going to be really neat. Where we take the biggest home run hitters from each each club, Charleston, the team Kentucky, and the Legends, and put them here in our ballpark, and uh, you know, partner with Baseball Cloud and and do something really cool there too. So it just opened up. It opens up many avenues for us and. I mean, we just could not be more thrilled about it. I, I can't overstate that. And uh, I was curious to know, like, logistics-wise, with the two teams sharing one ballpark, not something we typically see so much uh, in baseball. So, like, how is it going to work, essentially, like, within the ballpark itself? Like, is there going to be, like, a home clubhouse? Like, uh, is it going to be, like, two separate home clubhouses? Is there yep. going to be, like... Yeah, yeah. So we're going to try and get two separate home clubhouses. We're doing renovations to both sides right now, actually. And then talking about bringing in some sort of mobile unit for the way teams. Uh, you know, there's just plenty of different ways to go about it, and we've been, uh, you know, kicking the tires on that. But we will have um, we will have some, some nice renovations done. I mean, heck, we're, we're putting in field turf, a new video board, renovating the locker rooms, We've hired a company on called Visual that's going to produce our games and our online streams with different camera angles. There's a lot of great stuff going on here that this is uh, we're really excited about. But yeah, you know the day to day stuff. As long as we're organized with it, should not be an issue at all. Right. I was going to ask about the turf specifically. I mean, for, that was uh, it, it, obviously it's, it, it's it's very important that that turf was put in. We've seen that be the trend around uh, independent league baseball, minor league baseball as well because. You can have those other events, but they usually—it's usually for the the other events. Why it's so important? But in this in this case, I mean, w- would a normal field be able to hold up for 123 home dates? I mean, I have I have no idea. So uh, yeah, how I, I, I think that that would be that would be definitely a lot, and I think Chris Pearl, our grounds crew guy, would be uh, would be very disappointed in us if we brought a second <laughs> team here without without putting in turf. No, but we see it as a, we see it as an awesome resource for a lot of different things. Uh, you know, we're talking about starting a youth academy, doing all sorts of stuff where we can use this for tournaments in 2023 and beyond when, when the other two, when our professional team is on the road, you know, we're just really excited about opening up this ballpark to as many people as possible in the future. Sure. So, uh, so Nick, if you wanted to add anything else about, about Kentucky, you can feel free. Yeah, I gotta say, you don't want to tell the uh, Apollo or the Houston Apollo guys that uh, a traveling team gets smacked around. Oh as, no! As I found out, they get very there annoyed. Go. There we go. Yeah, they tell you to do your research, and we did. We did a hundred game sample size, and it turns out they do, in fact, get smacked around. Uh, but, oh man, brutal! <laughs> yeah. yeah, you guys are brutal, man. You guys are lethal here. I'm just returning what was brought to my doorstep, but regardless of that. <laughs> regardless of that uh i do no, want- yeah i mean we we plan on having uh, i i will say it till i'm blue in the face we plan on having the two best uh atlantic league teams here in this market you know i think long island's gonna try to fight you on that but you know i'd be happy to see a nice change of pace because i mean i i like the guys over at long island i think they do a fantastic job it's hard to argue otherwise they really like the model franchise for so many years but seeing them always at the top gets get a little bit uh, boring after a while. It's nice to yeah, have some Mike, variety. Oh man, I got nothing but good words to say about yeah. Mike over in uh, 
in Long Island. He's actually been just a great resource uh, in the, the whole league in general. I mean, yeah. uh, welcoming us the way that they did. I mean, you got Mike in Lancaster, Gibby in York, you know, Mike in Long Island. You got Courtney in Southern Maryland, Dave in Gastonia, Christian Pete in High Point, you know, Chuck and Mary in Charleston. It's, like, it's almost like a family, mm. a family. And, and, and we've got really what I think is one of the smartest guys in baseball is our president, and, uh, Rick White. And he always says, you know, we're competitors on the field, but we're really partners off the field. And um, just, I think that's such an awesome way to look at it. And, and really, I think the rest of the league is bought in on that. And, you know, even with we, it's kind of molded how we do our relationship and and handle our relationship with Charleston. Uh, We look at them as a partner and it's been just really nothing but great. Oh, absolutely. Our our experience with every team on and off the uh, everything it, since we started really has been just fantastic. I mean, uh, when when Mike Pfeff, uh first came on the show, he had no reason to really do it. He voluntarily said, hey, I'll come on and I'll explain the situation if you guys will let me. And, you know, obviously at the time, you know, he was like the second or third interview we had. So uh, it was certainly a great thing to have. And I mean, everyone's been so helpful since we started this and Lexington, no, no exception there. They've been extremely good to us also. So um, on that note, I do have one kind of just general question left about fan experience at the ballpark. And that's just kind of, we, we mentioned some of the things that they can expect to see at the ballpark. You mentioned the Labor Day home run derby. You mentioned the, the new game day production, the new field, obviously a new team at, at the ballpark as well. So I was just wondering if there's anything else specific that fans can look forward to in 2022 when they come to the ballpark and, you know, what, what can they expect? Obviously, they know there's going to be a good product on the field every night, but what off the field is there? Because as we've discussed with other people uh, numerous times and just between ourselves on the show, baseball itself doesn't make the whole baseball game experience. There's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, I mean, we've got some really great group outing areas here in the park that we're, uh, we're always working on. We've got some new food vendors coming in this upcoming year that we're really excited about. Uh we're doing a deal here soon to put in a cage that'll be, uh, you know, you'll be able to swing, take swings off of a tee and get back like data feedback on your swings and kind of compare it to the on-field players who will take during spring training. We'll get a baseline there and just doing some really new and innovative stuff here. Uh, and then just not to mention, obviously, this huge video board that we just put in, uh, you know, with new new cams that can go on in the crowd and stuff. It's going to be a new, a newer uh upgraded experience here that we are just it's so excited about for 2022 and beyond yeah absolutely there and so uh well i'm not sure if you have anything else left to ask or i think we think we pretty much covered it all so i i, I don't think i have anything left on my end all right then in that case then mike we'll we'll give you you know five ten minutes here at the end if there's anything you want to say then go ahead and say it if there's anything you want to promote go ahead and promote it anything that you want to circle back to that maybe we moved on a little too quick from uh, we can go back and talk about that anything like that i mean now's the, the time for you to do that oh, i just want to circle back and thank both of you two for everything man i mean we uh we here in lexington really appreciate our relationship with you guys and the work that you do for independent baseball and you know, I, I just want to send out one more thank you to all the GMs and and uh, you know senior operators in the Atlantic League and Rick White specifically, Emily in the front office there. It's just everybody's been so great to us so far, and we love working in the Atlantic League, and uh, we're really looking forward to this upcoming season. And uh, can't wait to get you guys out to the ballpark this upcoming year. You guys skipped out on us last year, but this year I'm expecting you to be here. So uh, yeah. we look forward to seeing you then, and uh, thanks again for letting me come on. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, the, the pleasure's all ours, and I mean, you gotta keep in mind here, it's not exactly a hop, skip, and a jump from New Jersey to Kentucky. I mean, that's a bit of a hike. Yeah, well, maybe we can get you on one of the uh, road team buses. We'll get you we'll get you into town then, and you can stay for a whole series or something like uh, that. We'll, we'll work out a deal off, off air about that. How about yeah. that? All right, well, hitchhike with Long Island all the way out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, sounds good, or even I'm, Staten Island. How about that? Oh, Staten Island would you guys on with, with the new guys. Yeah, <laughs> that would work for us. If Somerset was still around, that'd make it nice and easy, but, you know, of course, they got to make it difficult. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, right, no doubt. Well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate you, and uh, look forward to talking again soon. All right, just want to thank Mike again for jumping on the show with us. We definitely appreciate him taking the time. Had a lot of fun with this one, too. So uh, more than welcome back whenever he wants. And we'll try to talk to him, I guess, uh, when the season gets going or midway through the year. Uh be interesting to see what he uh, what he has to say halfway through the year with that. But I thought it was a fun interview, a very fun interview. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think we got a lot of a lot of great insight into like the past as far as uh, how this Lexington team was how this Lexington team was built. And I think the the most interesting part um, in gen uh, that I, that I the biggest takeaway for me uh, was when he talked about when trying when he during the Battle of the Bourbon Trail and he talked to so many guys who probably wouldn't have been in indie ball to begin with uh, if it weren't for just looking for some place to play during the 2020 season. Um, and here just talking them, hearing them talk about what they didn't like about affiliated ball and what they were looking for, uh, if they were not going to be an affiliated ball and trying to make Lexington that spot for that, that spot for those players. I think it paid a lot of dividends because you saw Lexington pulling a lot of names that, that usually you don't really see an indie ball too much. So, and it obviously led to an awesome season for them, them taking home the Atlantic League Championship. So that was my big takeaway. And, uh, it'll be, and of course, uh, how they're going to go about, uh, working with this team, Kentucky team. And hopefully we get a brand, uh, of it relatively soon. I think we will get it relatively soon. Uh, cause I, I really do hate using, like, just talking and saying team Kentucky. Like, yeah. It's just, it's not just a, so it's generic. Not a it's yeah. not a baseball thing that people. It's no. It's no. So I can't wait till when there's an actual name for the team. Uh, but it, it's a unique. It's a very unique situation. He's he's got his work cut out for him. But I, I think if there's a man that's cut out for it, it's Mike Coltac. Oh, certainly, very much. Yeah, overall, great interview. Enjoyed it. And so, on that note, we don't really have any news left to discuss. We don't have anything else left to discuss. We do have things that we need to promote and plug before we get out of here and let you enjoy the rest of your Christmas day or Christmas weekend or New Year's week, whatever time frame you may be listening to this episode too. So we have the Q&A episode next week. We are in desperate need of questions. I'm not afraid to admit that. We only have a handful of them. And like we always say, that episode is as long as the amount of questions we get. So if you have any additional questions, I'd highly recommend sending them in by, say, the 29th, let's say, because I think we'll probably wind up recording that on the 20, on the 30th, I'm thinking, because I don't really want to add on my birthday. So, um, that said, try for 29 to get all those questions in, so that way we can have a longer Q&A episode there. You can get those questions in via social media. 
say Twitter at IndieBallPod, say Instagram at IndieBallReport, AOPB underscore news, either one of them, DMs open on that to actually send questions over. You could also send them in through the website. We have all the contact information on the website. I believe under either contact us or about me. So it's kind of hard to miss. And you can email those questions, indieballreport at gmail.com. So also on that website, you can find all the episodes, all of the show notes, all the articles, everything we do on the website. Check that out as well. So that brings us to just plugging the show, which is available wherever you can find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, iHeartRadio, the whole nine, really. If it's a major podcatcher, we're probably on it, so rate, review, and subscribe there. That said, I think I already can guess what your thing to add is, and I'm just well, going to like... Well, what, what do you think it is? I think it's a 5-17 and 17 that doesn't deserve to be in a New Year's uh, Eve Bowl, being in a New Year's <laughs> Eve Bowl, and I pray to God that Wake Forest kicks that 5-17 and, and 17 right in the head because they don't deserve to be there. Uh, well, you, you read my mind. You just know me too well, Nick. Yeah. Do I disagree with anything you're saying? Well, outside of the, I hope Wake Forest destroys them. Obviously, I don't hope that. Uh, do they deserve to be there? Of course not. Uh, they don't deserve to be in a bowl game at all. They had their chances, uh, with some winnable games to get to six and six, and they didn't do it. They had, like, they lost to a, a very beatable Maryland team. They lost at Northwestern, who kind of sucks. And the they meaning Rutgers, by the way. Uh, if if anyone <clears throat> if anyone is not aware of who I'm talking about, uh, who is now uh, as a result of Texas A&M dropping out of the Gator Bowl uh, in Jacksonville on New Year's Eve, uh, the fact that uh, Texas A&M dropped out, they had some COVID issues and just weren't able to field a team to play. Wake Forest needed a team to play, so they went to the five and seven ranks and uh, by NCAA rules. Uh, the five and seventeen with the best APR, which is academic performance rating, uh, their their best APR scores get the op- first opportunity. That was the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Therefore, they are now in the uh, in the Gator Bowl. Which I will say, uh, it's so funny, and I sh- I think it shows like the the twenty twenty one world that we live in. This is by far the best bowl Rutgers has ever played in. Uh, just like when you're lo- like take records aside and just looking at what bowls they've played in, um, it's by far the best bowl they've ever played in. And uh, you, but, so you know what? Like, are they are, are they the better team? No way. Uh, is it going to be fun? And do they have nothing to lose? So you might as well just roll roll the ball out there and see what happens. Sure. I mean, uh, I'm just I'm just excited because it's been a long seven years since Rutgers has been in a bowl game and I'm just, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Even if they lose by 50, I'll still be happy because they're in a bowl game and uh, it, it's been a long time coming. So I, I I'm, they're on the right track as a program and uh, I'm glad that they'll at least be rewarded with, uh, with something. Obviously you don't want to get bowl bids like this. Uh, they should have just won the Maryland game or the Northwestern game or any of the other games. And they would be in a, a game that they earned. Like, like the pinstripe bowl or something and would be much easier to get to than Jacksonville, Florida. So, uh, I'm very, however, I'm excited for the game. They have nothing to lose. So what the hell? Let's see. Let's see what happens. Do they deserve to be there? No way. Uh, but you know what? They're there. It's fun. Let's have some fun. A couple of points to that. 
One, I also hope they lose by 50, so that way we can both be happy. Two. Yeah, I I wouldn't, I'm not saying I'm rooting for them to lose by 50. I know, that's that's not what you said. I know, you're saying even if they do, meaning, you know, if it happens, it happens, but I'm just happy they're in a bowl game. What I'm saying here is, if they lose by 50, you're still happy they made a bowl game. I'm happy Wake Forest kicked the hell out of them. So, that's where I'm at. Two. The fact that Rutgers got in off of academics and COVID is the part that's really mystifying me. I can understand COVID. Don't get me wrong. That, that's going to happen. I figured at least two teams were going to drop, which we're at two right now. A&M and then this morning, Hawaii had to drop out of the Hawaii Bowl. But like, the academic part is what's getting me. That Really? Out of all the teams that they were looking at, they were like, yep, according to the numbers, Rutgers. Rutgers is the academic stalwart here. Hey, the NCAA cares so much about academics, and this just proves it. There wasn't any better academic team than Rutgers? No, well, not, not who was 5-7. and seven. I mean, you're only looking at 5-7 and seven teams. How many 5-7 and seven teams are there? I don't know. Like, like, I actually don't know. Like, I assume like 12, 15. Is that a decent guess? I need to get an answer to that. Plus, I got to look up that other thing I said I was going to look up. But yeah, I mean, regardless, I'm, uh, I, I'm still, I'm, I'm just still mystified. That it's like, yeah, Rutgers, like, like was Illinois now five and seven? No, they were. Illinois was five and seven. They're a better they're academic AP- school than Rutgers. Uh, there. So, if you want to get exact, Rutgers' APR score was nine twenty three. Illinois was nine oh eight. So. No Illinois. And plus, Rutgers beat them head-to-head anyway, so it's fair. I'm just mystified here. Oh, God. Uh, you know, I, I don't even... You're excited. I'm sh- I'm stunned. I'm stunned. You know, I, I, it is what it is now. I'm not going to look it up, but... We're ending this show before it gets any further in there. This is what it is. We'll see you next time. Until then, don't forget to play ball. Oh, and also, by the way, I was off by one. It was episode 99, not 98. Ah, uh, so close. I was close, yeah.